Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Recorded Friday, June the 17th, 2016. This is the Western Devs Podcast. In this week's episodes, the devs discuss career planning. Boy, look here, we get something for you. Yeah! Welcome to another Western Devs podcast. How is everybody doing this afternoon? Excellent. Good. My name is Kyle Belay. We've got on the call here Lori Lalonde, Dave Paquette, Tom Optinorth, Justin Self in his inaugural Western Devs podcast, and Rob Windsor. Today we're going to be talking about career planning. What do you expect out of your career? Um, do you put any thought into your career? Was it your first career? Anything to do with the career? We're going to um, give everybody, uh, if you're just getting into software, this is going to be the definitive guide for your career in software. So, first question I want to pose here. Was software your first career choice? Uh, and when I say was it your first career choice, I'm not talking about when you were five years old and you wanted to grow up and be an astronaut, but when you started going into the working world, was software where you started out? I'll start with Dave because he's the only one who's not. I don't know. I don't know why. I'm going to start with Dave. Okay. Yeah, software was was definitely my first uh, career choice when I followed kind of a typical, you know, go to university type path to to the industry and. Uh, when it came time to apply for university, there really wasn't any question for me. I wanted to take computer science. I, I did that. I finished my four years, and the industry was kind of in a bad place. It was right after the, the whole dot-com bubble had burst, and there weren't a lot of jobs. A lot of my friends were taking construction jobs when they finished university because there just weren't a lot of options. So I decided to stay in university a little longer, uh, did, a seg- did a master's degree, and uh, that worked out really well. By the time I finished that, the industry had kind of bounced back and there were a lot of jobs. So so you have a master's in computer science? I do, yeah. La-dee-da. Don't expect any kind of um, increase in stature from us, though. <laughs> I wasn't going to. Uh, but I did notice today, so I, I, I mostly expect software to be the, the industry I stay in for my career, but I noticed today that the Canadian Space Agency is hiring for their their next round of astronauts. I might might apply for that and become an astronaut, just like I always wanted to. What about the um, Major League Baseball? Anybody hiring there? Because that's what I wanted to be as a kid. Me too. Cincinnati Reds, is that an actual baseball team now? Are they hiring? They're not very good, so maybe you can uh, play like left field for them. <laughs> <laughs> I always like shortstop. Who didn't start in software? I did not. What was your first career choice, Justin? I didn't actually uh, have a career choice. I didn't get into development explicitly as I was thinking, hey, this sounds like a fun thing to do, or I wasn't really passionate for it out of the gate. I kind of came into it as a, uh, a means to solve a problem at my job I was at at the time. I was, uh, I was working for a bank, and I was a regional operations manager, and uh, was doing... Uh, I was handling some special projects on the side and started working on uh, this one way to
to kind of a Skunk's Works project, but it was a way to try and rank branches based on uh, some metrics I had dreamed up. And, um, you know, I went to the, uh, probably the best tool that anybody had ever heard of was Excel. Started cranking away on that, and uh, one thing led to another. Started doing some VBA, then uh, did C Sharp, like in, uh, I guess, oh, five or six. Did a little uh, RSS reader and thought that was it. I'm a developer and tried to make it from there. I, uh, I didn't get a college degree, though. I've actually dropped out a couple times. Thinking about dropping out a third time just to kind of round it up to something nice and good. It's nice to have a soundtrack to your story. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I'll, I'll change it to, to death metal once we get into the, the real heavy part. Once we talk about mentoring... Well, uh, I am in the same boat. I actually started out in a, in a different career uh, as an actuary, but I didn't get very far with it. I basically started looking for a job. After I graduated, I started looking for a job. Nobody hired me. And then at that point, it occurred to me that you could get paid for programming, so why not? And I went back and uh, did computer science too. So how many people here actually did get a degree in computer science? Dave did, I did. I did. Justin didn't. Rob? Yep. Yeah, so you've, you've got, I, I think at this point in pretty much all of our careers, the, the actual degree probably doesn't make much difference. I, I can see how a university degree would be valuable, but I don't see how it should be a prerequisite. I think when you see somebody has a university degree it's, or, or a diploma, um, that, it's, um, that it shows some level of dedication, some level of, of commitment to something. But to, I think at some point you can say a you know, post-secondary education or whatever, five years in the industry. Does that make sense? I think it does. What I've noticed for me, um, in my experience, is that it, it. I think the only hindrance that a college degree, or the lack of one, has had on me probably was my, my personal attitude and what I thought I was qualified for initially. And uh, I think I fell into the, and I probably suffer still from this a bit, the uh, that imposter syndrome that Hanselman talks a bit about. But what I've started to learn is that it's not my technical skill set that makes me very valuable nowadays. It's more of my soft skill sets and the ability to uh, build re relationships and explain complex things. And that isn't something that any of the, co I mean, I did take quite a lot of college courses. Uh, I just don't have any degree, but that wasn't something that very well translated into a course uh, syllabus. Well, that's interesting because my, like I said, I started in uh, the actuarial field, which was through the, the faculty of management and I found that a lot of the courses there um, were almost as valuable as, in some respects, more valuable than the actual computer science ones. You know, there's a course on communication and on operations and, you know, human resources and things like that. Um, you know, and I, I guess being in the faculty of management probably helped. I, I'm not wasn't sure what to make of their wines and cheeses and stuff um, and all that kind of networking and socializing that they do. But I'm sure that was probably valuable if you decide to take part of it. Most likely. 
but the one place I think where where the university degree, like I, I think when it comes to job postings, yeah, a lot of them will will list university degree as a requirement. But I think in reality, the hiring managers will will look at a for sure a diploma and and think that it's you know pretty much equivalent to to a university degree. But the one place where it makes a big difference is if as a Canadian you're looking to go work down to the states. Let's say you want to move to Silicon Valley and get a job there. Uh, you can run into some issues with getting your visas if you don't have a, a university degree. So that's that's one area where it does help for sure. Yeah, that's true. I've run into that too. It is a requirement to get their um, TN visa. I think it really depends on who's doing the initial filtering of the resumes. If it's somebody who is technical, then I agree. Your job, uh, you know, your job history is more important than your education history. But if it's somebody who's just uh, who's an HR person or or doesn't know the field in which they're filtering the resumes for, then they'll look at whatever the job specs say and see who matches closely enough to that. And then that will be the initial filter. So you could get filtered out in that way. Yeah, that's a really good point. I haven't had that happen to me yet uh, with a lack of a degree. Uh, but I think all of my uh, positions I've had so far, if I think back on them, they've all actually been the result of a relationship that I had with somebody else that either got me in the door or I... You know, for example, I'm working at ClearMeasure now. Well, my current, my boss at my last company, New Palermo, and uh, instead of me kind of going through the posting my resume and hoping I get an interview and whatnot, uh, that connection kind of got me to the front of the line, and that's happened to me at several spots. So I, I think if I, I might be a little bit jaded if I had been denied or I've uh, been screened out a few times, but at this point, I'm not. That goes both ways, though. I mean, not only does that help you get a job, it also helps you find the get kind of an idea of what it's like to work there. So you're also, you know, not being rejected because of whatever lack of experience or education. You're also theoretically um, more inclined to like a position if you know somebody who uh, who's there. Doesn't always work, but. Yeah, that's a really fair point. I, to be honest with myself, I'm not sure if I would apply at some place that said a, manda- a degree is mandatory because maybe I don't want to have that rejection outright, and I might just mentally pass over that. So, Dave, you mentioned that you plan to be in software your entire career. What about everyone else? That any thoughts? I, I hear a lot of people say, "Yeah, I'm going to do this for a while, and then I'm going to whatever, go into woodworking, or I'm going to open a bar in Tahiti, or something like that." Tom, what are you going to do for the rest of your life? Uh, good question. I always thought I would be software or development kind of stuff for the rest of my life, but the older I get, the more I think, you know, there's some other things out there that maybe I should do. <laughs> um. I've always liked the outdoors and sort of being a professional guide always appealed to me, but, you know, how do you get started in something like that? And I think that just requires. Is this something that's kind of systemic to software though? I mean, uh, like I said, I've heard you say you're thinking of doing something outdoorsy, but I don't hear as much from other professions like lawyers or doctors saying, I'm just doing this, until I can, you know, until until I'm done, sort of thing. Until I can teach paragliding for a living. To that, I would sort of maybe say there's a certain mindset that when you become a, a doctor or a lawyer, you sort of realize you're in it for life. Like 
for them that's kind of more of a they live to work, not work to live, if that makes sense. Whereas for me, I'm starting to view software development more as, you know, this just pays the bill so I can do the things I want to do. Hmm. That's just a shift I'm noticing as I get older, right? Maybe because I'm running out of time in my life sort of a thing. Um, and I'm just sort of looking, you know, I've done software now for 25 years kind of a thing. Um, even longer if you want to count the time I spent as a teenager, you know, hacking around on computers and stuff. And it's just one of those things of, you know, at, at some point in my life here, I think I'd like to make a change and, and try something new and different. And like I said, what that would be, I don't know, something outdoorsy, like I said, um, being a professional guide of some sort. But I have a feeling that I'm probably too old for that now. So I don't know. We'll have to see. I'm probably going to do it until they pry the whatever input device we're using at the time out of my hands. Yeah. Well, and I guess the other thing, too, is, you know, past a certain age, um, it just becomes harder to shift careers, in my opinion, right? I mean... Well, it's not, you're not really shifting careers so much as you're more or less retiring and then doing something else, right? It's, you know, software is a career for most of us. I think pretty much everybody on the on the call, software is basically something that we like doing and hey we happen to get paid for it and i think that's kind of more prevalent in in software than it is in other industries too so you already have that propensity to just say well i just want to do something that i that i think is fun and maybe that's why you see a lot of people you know in their 40s or 50s doing kind of retiring from software to open up a chain of falafel stores or something I like professional sports uh well maybe I, I sort of get more to the point of you know like as you get older you have kids you have mortgages and stuff like that um you know the longer you're in a career generally you progress up salary wise it, it becomes logistically challenging to say you know i'm going to walk away from you know my nice cushy contracts that i have developing software and restart myself as you know whatever a florist you know, there, there's a significant salary impact there that might impede these other aspects of your life, right? So yeah, but at that point, you're you're more or less retiring from software to do something you've dreamed of doing all your life. Well, retiring in quotes, right? Like, I'm still young enough to work. Yeah, absolutely. Career. Retiring from, from your primary career. Yeah. You so know, I mean, it, it's rare you would see somebody after, at our respective ages, retiring from software to become a doctor, for example. Probably. Or an actuary, I suppose. Is this the point where we take the Geritol break? Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. I guess that's kind of what launched this as an idea for a podcast. We were all, somebody asked the question of, you know, when are you going to retire? So, and how does, what does retirement look like for you? Yeah. I'm going to ask Dave. I think he's the younger. Actually, no, you're not the youngest anymore, Dave. But I'm going to ask you anyway. What's retirement look like for you? Uh, for me, I I think I'd like to ideally, maybe 10 years from now, start doing more contract work where I'm working either part-time, like say you know 20 hours a week, or just doing shorter contracts with some breaks in between. And then starting to do more other things that might not really pay, but can spend some time outdoors and do the other things that I enjoy 
could see myself doing things like being a fishing guide or that type of work would be pretty interesting to me. So kind of a work to live sort of thing. Use the software yeah. to to basically support your lifestyle. Yeah, exactly. So we're also entitled. Totally. To yeah. Rob, are you still there? I am. So at least for now. Okay, uh, we'll get a sound bite into What does what does retirement look like to you? Well, I I may be deluding myself, uh, but I am I consider myself to be semi-retired right now. Um, I took a, a good chunk of last year off. Okay, that was uh, great to hear, Rob. I'm going to assume that all got recorded because the rest of us couldn't hear it. <laughs> I'm sure it was it was quite insightful, and our readers would be good to follow whatever Rob told them to do, regardless of how many condiments were involved. I think the Autobots are coming. <laughs> Justin. What's retirement look like to you? you Dude, you're I've, you're no early on. Yeah, man, I'm still green in this industry of, you know, 10 years in. I, I'm not a 20, 30, 40-year vet yet. Uh, I don't really know what retirement looks like for me right now. I know that I'm, I'm afraid that if I let software become my vocation as well as my hobby, um, that that will make me burn out faster. So that's why I've been adopting analog things like uh, woodworking and you know, yelling at my child, uh, which kind of seems to help iron me out a bit. It does um, provide a certain amount of therapy. It does. It's a bit cathartic at times. So it's and it is very similar to dealing with a lot of clients. Yeah, Are you talking about the I mean, woodworking or the other thing. Though the diapers and whatnot. <laughs> no, yelling at yelling at children. I mean, not all clients will will break out in tears when you yell at them, but. Um, the ones that do make you feel really good about it. There are definitely things I would love to do. Um, I think if if I had to choose my life over again, um, I would maybe set myself up for, and again, I'm, it feels weird to even talk about it, but um, there are other things I would have liked to do, I guess. Like uh, maybe something that didn't, uh, I guess the bad thing about software is that you can make pretty good money and then you get used to that. And um, my wife and I are pretty hardcore about making sure every time, you know, we change career or we change jobs or we get an increase or whatever that we're not upping our lifestyle to match it. But, um, you know, you, you do kind of get used to it. So I don't know what my life would, if I could even stop and go be a fishing guide or, you know, do woodworking all day long and, you know, take a 75% pay cut or something like that. I, even if I could afford it, I don't know if my ego could take it. Yeah, but even if the uh, for me the way it would probably work is, you know, I would take a a contract, assuming it exists, where I could just basically work a couple hours, right? I'd just a couple hours a day, you know, maybe like Dave said, twenty hours a week, which is pretty high, um, I, I would think for a for somebody retired. But it's like. Um, I can't remember what movie I saw where you just you're just basically doing that for a couple of hours and then you do it from wherever you are. You're in your cabin in the woods if that's your thing, or you know, in your downtown loft apartment or wherever. And you're it's basically part of your routine. You know, bang out some code for a while, go down to the pub, get hammered, 
Colin's not on the call, but we'll assume that's what his retirement plan would look like. Um, not necessarily in that order. And then, you know, that's you retired, right? Yeah, I, I hear that. I just, I can't imagine that being feasible for me at this point to kind of do something like that part-time. I, I tend to suffer from an all-in syndrome. Whenever I do something, I want to do it all in. And Your kids are I, still young. That's, <laughs> that's true, right? So maybe maybe when you know he's graduating high school or going into college, maybe I'm sure I'll be singing a different tune at that point. But right now I don't have, I think, the life experiences that let me view something like that yet. So let me switch gears to uh, companies. I think everybody on the call here, almost everybody, has done contract work. Um, but everybody's probably been an employee at some point. How much do you depend on your company to do career planning? How much should you depend on your company to do career planning? You mean for outlining where you should be going and the next steps you should be taking? Yeah, I mean, there. I go into companies, and I think I've been out of employeehood long enough that it's it's really tiresome to read these things. But you go into companies and they say, you know, this is your career path. You start off as a junior developer, you move up to intermediate and then senior and then super senior and then extra super senior and then extra super senior with fries. And that's your career path if you decide to stay with the company. And if you switch from this job to that one, you get 2% increase. You switch to that one, you get 3% increase plus stock options if we ever decide to go public. Um, like how I, There's people that seem to put a lot of um, faith and, and reliance on that sort of thing. Kind of the, the very super traditional, I'm going to stick with this company for 30 years and get my gold watch at the end. And I just don't understand why that's still an actual thing in some companies. Is it still a thing? I, I haven't come across it yet in, in my career. Well, the, the, the job titles are. I've been in places where, where it's either the companies say we're going to have, you know, these are the special, specific job titles that we're going to offer people, and this is your specific job title um, if you want to advance then you're going to move to this job title and it i guess it's not a an actual career path but it's like basically a regimented employment something or other. i'm gonna put it out there that that's more an artifact of human resources than actual it itself per se i mean hr has to figure out a way to categorize you so they know how to pay you and that kind of a thing so they invent these categories and these career paths, uh, debatably with input from, you know, whatever the, the senior management types. But like I worked at a lot of places where it was kind of, if you want a title, make one up and we'll come to terms on, you know, what you, what you should get compensated or how you should get compensated. But you've worked for places that have that kind of the, the regimented type as well, haven't you? Yeah, Totally. Um, and there it was like, you know, I sat down and I said, so what are my options here? What do, what do I have to do? And they said, well, here's your, your sort of two career paths. Um, and maybe this has something to do with the fact that 
you know, when I was an employee, I generally didn't last much longer than about two or three years with a given place because I just felt it was too uh, constraining, right? Like it's something new comes up and you want to pursue it, but it's not defined inside their career paths. So if you want to experiment with or learn about this new technology or whatever, well, guess what? You have to do it on your own time, on your own dime and convince the business of the value of this and sort of make that work. Like, you know, make, find a way to introduce this into the company. And so, but there are some people where it's more comforting to have that. Some are, so a lot of people are like that where they just sort of want, you know, for them, this is a nine to five job and just tell me what I need to do to get paid. So, and, and I'll do that. Right. A lot of people are like that, but I think probably in this discussion anyway, most of us are relatively self-motivated starters and debatably suffer a bit from, you know, uh, shiny kit syndrome, you know, like, oh, here's the new technology. How does this work? How can I use it? And so the, the regimented system that sort of HR foists on us doesn't work well with our way of thinking, our line of empowerment. And I don't knowledge. think we can be unbiased with this, but I'll ask the question anyways, is do you think it's reasonable, even if you buy into that sort of thing, for a company to, for, for somebody to rely on a company to offer that? Like, do you think a company should be offering a set career path for people that seem to need that sort of thing or want that sort of thing? That's a tricky question because, again, it sort of depends on what your business is. Say an enterprise because that's normally where you see these sort of things, not necessarily yeah. um, big tech shops, but, you know, an IT department in an oil and gas company. Yeah, so for there I would almost say that's, that's maybe the proper way to do it. You know, it's sort of you, you, you have to provide this set of services or your business has to work this way. So here are the rules. But you still have to provide some, uh, some sort of guidance for people that don't really want to be restricted to a particular career path as well, I would think. Well, that's the trick, right? That's, that's the problem. <laughs> uh, like I said, it's, it's, I think that this is largely HR because this is probably since the start of the industrial revolution, how jobs were defined in the West, right? You know, you're the guy that tightens the bolts on the Model T and you're the guy that paints the Model T black and you're the guy that changed, you know, puts the oil kind of thing, right? The whole assembly line thing. And maybe this is a matter of perhaps HR needs to catch up and realize that, you know, with AT, with, with IT in particular, it moves very quickly. Uh, people's interests switch and shift over time. I mean, like six years ago, I was a, a web developer, and now I don't even think I can spell web kind of a thing. I'm totally in the mobile game. And I know one company I was at, they, they, they flat out told me that we have no value or use for mobile. If that's what you want to do, then you sort of need to make a presentation to the IT director as to why mobile is good. And, well, guess what? I just happened to leave that place because I'm like, well, this isn't in line with my end goals. And this was a place that did have a very much a a structured regimented system of, you know, you're a web developer, this is the path you shall follow. And maybe if they'd have been a bit more flexible, uh, ironically, now they are looking at mobile stuff. Um, but perhaps if they'd have been a bit more flexible in their thinking and that kind of a deal, you know, maybe I would still be there today. Who knows? I, I could be wrong, but I, I, I think people that the young people that are entering the workforce today, uh, I doubt that they have any expectation of staying at a company for 30 years and getting their gold watch and retiring with a pension kind of thing. I, I just don't really see that from, from young people entering the workforce. 
Ah, young kids today are all lazy and shiftless and worthless anyway. They have no experience. And we should be telling them exactly what jobs they have. Yeah. 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 So I, I would think those um, the the regimented career paths would, in in lieu of that, in lieu of those trends, would probably go by the wayside. And even if they don't, um, I personally don't put much faith in them. Right. If the reports are to be believed and our industry is, you know, going to be booming and, and we're going to be able to write our own tickets and stuff like that for the foreseeable future. It just seems to me that if you want to be in it, that you kind of have to manage things on your own. And that actually leads to my next question is how, have what specifically have you done to manage where you've gone, where you've gotten to today? Uh, I think in my case, the, the, the biggest thing I did was actually striking out on my own as an independent contractor kind of a thing. Um, because, well, then I had to keep up current in order to, you know, be an attractive, hireable option. Um, and then as well, it, it gave me the flexibility that I want to experiment with something, you know, like mobile prime example, when it first started coming out in 2008, 2009, you know, I could go out and buy some uh, some phones and that kind of a thing and write that off as a business expense and that kind of a deal. So it sort of loosened or lowered my apprehension to the uh, financial costs involved sometimes with, you know, shifting technologies or rebadging yourself. So I know in my case, that was kind of a thing. Did you have a, um, did you work for a consulting company at all before you struck out? Contracting? Yep. Yep, I did. I actually worked for a big three-letter Canadian consulting firm for a short while. And there they actually had a unique approach of, they said, well, you know, everyone should um, direct their paths themselves. And so they said, well, pick a particular area that you want to specialize in. And then, you know, they would say, you know, when you're on your downtime, um, you know, you're perfectly free to go ahead and pursue things in that area. But the interesting thing, or perhaps the, the contradictory thing, was it wasn't like, um, you know, say you needed to go out and buy hardware or buy software licenses to, to learn this stuff. They wouldn't give you any budget to do that. It was just kind of a whatever you can do for free while sitting on the bench, you know, go ahead and pursue that, and that will be your, your specialization. So when this would be around 2003, 2004, um, you know, cell phones were getting smaller and debatably programmable in some fashion as long as you stuck to these two proprietary SDKs, you know, it was, well, I want to learn how to write apps for this particular device. Well, guess what? You know, as, as an employee, that would be totally on my dime. And, you know, it's, that turned me off at that point in time. I said, well, then I'll pursue this web stuff because we have web servers at work. We have all the tooling at work. That's, that's something I can chase down on my own time when I'm sitting on the bench. For me, I've kind of jumped between... I've done a lot of independent contracts and I've done working for companies and kind of bounced back and forth between them. And in general, I think for me, the, the thing that kept my career moving forward was maybe recognizing when it was time to, to move on from a particular place of employment. So when maybe I wasn't just because of the projects or the state of the projects, I wasn't adding as much value as I could, or I wasn't learning as much as I could and just recognizing that it was time to, to move on and find something different. 
which isn't always easy to do because sometimes when you've been at a company for a while, you get those, the golden handcuffs, as they say, where you, you have really good perks and uh, you've built up the, the history at that company and it can, it can be hard to leave. Yeah, and then inertia from it. Yeah. So, um, but all of that kind of sounds like spur of the moment, you know, I'm not happy here. I should think about moving on. Uh, I want to work in mobile, so maybe it's time for me to leave this company so I can do what I want. Has anybody got like a, I sometimes hear about people that have five, ten year plans, and that to me just sounds like you may as well have unicorns with sparkles coming out of your ass, right? I, sounds awful, for me, but... those were never <laughs> spur of the moment things. It was always definitely a five, ten year plan. That's pretty much impossible to, to pull off in this industry, but it was always yeah for specific you know, technologies, but like it, it, there's um, whenever you talk to to people that have been contracted for the long for a while, there are some similarities. It's like you know th this might just be me projecting my own experience onto the people I've talked to, but it's like work for an enterprise company or a small company for a while, then work for a consulting company, then break branch out onto your own. Do contracting, you know, maybe do a startup, um, but it's almost like a um, a progression that looks like it was planned, but you just kind of fell into the opportunities. I don't know if it's falling into the opportunities so much as maybe just keeping one ear to the ground kind of a deal and, and trying to predict what's coming up. I mean, it was sort of the same thing with web when it got big and what would that be about ninety. 98, I guess, was when things started to get going, and then 99 when it really heated up. I mean, you could see back in 96, I think, was when I did my first web project. I was like, okay, this is going to have a significant impact on how businesses do things. We're not going to have these bulky, awkward desktop apps that we have to run around machine to machine and install. Everything's going to run in the browser. And you could see this, you know, back in 1996 sort of a deal. And guess what? Two, three years later... It kind of became a reality as we started to get things like ASP or um, Oracle had their own thing, forms or whatever the hell it was. So I think it's just a matter of keeping your eyes open and watching what's going on around you to figure out where you should be going next. Yeah, rather than tying yourself to a specific technology, just kind of relegate yourself, I guess, if we were to offer any sort of career planning to our young and impressionable listeners out there, that it would be keep an ear to the ground and, and be very, very flexible. You know, I, I have a different kind of perspective on this. I don't, I'm listening to, to y'all talk about, you know, uh, making, or at least implying that we're making choices to, to jump ship from one company to the next because you want to take your career in a different direction via the, whatever technology route you want to go with. But when I've jumped companies, um, or when I think about moving to a different company, it's never because I don't, get the technology itch now that might be a facade of a reason for me just personally i might say oh man I, we're we're dealing with you know .NET 2 and .NET 4 is out you know or they won't let me get my new tools or we're not in the cloud or whatever but what i've come to realize about myself is that I'm, I'm not i don't think i'll chase technology i haven't yet what i've been chasing is the environment and the culture and my ability to impact people um and so with the culture aspect, 
I think one thing that's implied there is that they're willing to take risks on technology. They're willing to let me spread my wings, techn technologically speaking. But the more important thing for me is that I have a culture at a place that allows me to be happy and allows me to positively impact the people I work with and, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and if I don't have that, even if I was working on the absolute best technology stack that I wanted or that I could choose, I don't think I would be happy. And that, that for me, that's what's going to make me jump ship. That's an interesting point about the, the, the culture and the opportunities that you have for um, personal relationships. Because another thing that uh, I think factors in with a lot of people, certainly in Western devs and on this call, is um, the opportunity for speaking and um, and community and mentoring, right? So with respect to career planning, I, I don't know if I have always had, if there was ever a time where I said, I want to take my career to the point where I want to speak at user groups. But at one point I said, hey, uh, I've been to conferences, I've seen people speaking, I want to try it. And whether or not that becomes part of my, you know, persona, whatever, I, do, I don't put that much thought into it. Um, so when it comes to that aspect of it, from a career perspective, that's probably something that would factor into my retirement, I would think, or, you know, whatever we're calling retirement is, is rather than, you know, doing active development 40 hours a week for 50 weeks a year, you know, I can see myself doing a lot more mentoring and uh, teaching and speaking than I currently do, because that would also facilitate travel, which I'm hoping to be able to do as well. Over the past, you know, three or four years, I've the tech stack that I've worked in has has been enough to, you know, keep me interested almost every day. And uh, you know, whether I'm picking up Node or I'm doing Python or even dabbling in Ruby, learning all new types of technologies, and that's one thing I love about being a consultant um, is that I get to work in all these different things and you know constantly be challenged. But the um, the yeah the the biggest thing is. Um, I don't think that, and again, I haven't been jaded, I haven't been stuck in a place where I felt like I was being bled dry by a, a dull and boring tech stack, but... Um, but you are young. I know. <laughs> I know. Um, but I, I guess I, I've been lucky that in knowing, at the end of the day, I'm still a developer and in the, it's kind of my job to learn new things. And so there have been some paradigm shifts for me over the past 10 years, um, especially moving up to the cloud and really embracing distributed uh, systems. But you know, I don't think I would jump ship to anything because I feel pretty confident that I can use my consultant skills to pick up enough to get in the door and then BS my way through and fake it till I make it from there. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't want to admit that, but part of me knows that I can figure things out pretty quickly. That's going to be part of the trailer we do for this podcast. <laughs> All right, well, this has been a really good, um, I thought, a really good discussion on career development. I um, hope that people listening, certainly the ones that are early on, have um, learned something of it. Uh, if they have, it'll be a very unique podcast for the Western devs. 
Um, but does anybody have any closing remarks on stuff that we haven't covered that they want to tell people that are just starting out in the software industry? I think uh, my epiphany, and I kind of wish I'd have, you know, maybe somebody had told me this from the beginning, but um, in the software industry, being technical or being the, the being your programmer isn't the only way to, um, I guess, to, to scratch that itch. You know what, scratch that. That did not really make any sense, so forget what I said. Oh, screw that. That is totally going into the final point. <laughs> oh, I had this beautiful thing, and then I, I, uh, a, a wasp flew by my face, and I forgot what I was saying halfway through and my then, sentence. And, and then you butchered it, it wasn't worth it. Yeah, so something about trees. Yeah, so there, but there's different ways to your career path. All of us are of a similar mindset, that we like to get out there. I mean, Lori's always mentioned this, is go to beatups, network, make your connections, just make, get your presence known, and I mean, the, the career stuff will more or less happen. I've always said my main criteria has, has been make sure you're having fun. Um, if you're having fun, then the, the career will kind of find its way. With that, a little bit of Confucianism, I think we'll wrap up. I want to thank everybody for joining the call, and uh, we will talk to you again next week. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you.